Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. In this episode of CEO Perspectives, I sit down with Kofi Bruce, the Chief Financial Officer of General Mills, to discuss the banking crisis, the role that inflation plays in this emerging situation, its impact on companies and consumers, and what actions CEOs and CFOs should take to protect against a gray or black swan event. We'll discuss this and more. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. I'm Steve Odlin, CEO of the Conference Board and the host of this series. And Kofi, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Steve. So Kofi, here we go again. I mean, you know, it just it doesn't feel like that long ago when we were in the middle of a 2008-2009 banking crisis. But once again, the banks have mismanaged their balance sheets. Regulators are rushing in. You know, talk about this situation and the impact on companies and small businesses. Well, sure. I, I, I think it's it's fair to say part of the reason we are here is the, the pace of uh, inflation and the rate at which it took off. And then, you know, candidly, I think it it's maybe not meant as a criticism, but an observation. I think the Fed was a little behind the curve in terms of responding to the the, the pace of, of inflation. And as a result, the, the rapidity of the, the rate hikes has dramatically changed the landscape in terms of a, a access to and cost of capital. Um, so if you are borrowing, you know, in the course of, of 12 months, you've seen four or 500 basis points at least of increase in your borrowing costs, right? And if you think about where we were prior to this cycle, the, the landscape in terms of M&A has changed dramatically as a result of this. You, you had SPACs were, were, were a part of the conversation just 18 months ago. You know, well-funded vehicle, and, and they're not getting funded today, right? So, oh, well, they're not, nobody can spell SPAC today. It's like, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> I never, I wasn't involved with that. <laughs> of course not, Steve. Yeah. No, but, you know, the banks also were on the, you know, it's not like they didn't see this coming, but it, it seems like they were very slow because the value of their investments and their balance sheet was, you know, heavily invested in these bonds and the bond prices were falling as interest rates were rising. I mean, that's just ABCs of finance, sure. but they didn't really adjust here. And then you, so you see this, the Silicon Valley bank issue, uh, uh, you know, issues and, and other issues as banks try to solidify their balance sheet, right? Yeah, well, and I, I agree with your your assessment that, you know, there there clearly was a, you know, in, in the case of Silicon Valley, a miscalculation of the, the duration risk that they were exposed to. And it, it's also a good reminder that you don't have to be defined as systemically important to, to cause certain amount of loss of confidence in the financial system. I mean, that 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 one um, bank failure alone, um, even though it wasn't quite in that bracket, it was just just kind of about two hundred and ten billion dollars in assets. So under that two hundred fifty asset threshold, was enough to send jitters through the market. Enough that the Fed responded over the weekend to ensure that the depositors were protected. So I I, I do think we're we're in a in a space that there is probably a little bit more. Um, tenuousness and trepidation about the stability of the financial system. At the same time, I think as, as I've read a number of reports, a lot of the systemically important and the larger banks are, you know, are healthy from a, from a ratio perspective. This happened to be more of a liquidity and uh, risk management 
um, challenge that this this particular bank encountered. Uh, but I, I will say we're we're in an environment where I think the markets are catching up to the fact that risk is not getting rewarded the same way, and certainly you know taking too risk too much risk um, is getting punished maybe disproportionately in in this environment. So so I I think the market has been spending a lot of time guessing, maybe hoping um, that the Fed is done or will be done soon uh, with rate hikes. And at the same time, you know, we're seeing a lot of fundamental signals that the inflationary picture is maybe slower to change than than anybody really wants. Well, and maybe the bank situation will cause them to slow down. The conference board is projecting another couple rate hikes, 25 basis points, but we're nearing, you know, the hopefully the, the peak rate, as you said, but then you kind of have to wonder you know, as banks mark to market or either, you know, officially or unofficially on their balance sheets, how much more leverage comes out of the environment. So, you know, for the layperson, if banks have a dollar in assets, they, they lend 10. Right. And if that dollar shrinks because the value of the underlying assets on their bank balance sheet goes down, then that 10 gets whipsawed back. And all of that, all of those loans or hence liquidity that go to consumers and business in the marketplace gets dialed back too. So right. this is still an evolving situation, isn't it? Oh, and I, I absolutely think so. And I think there's more to come. I, I think, you know, as as banks tighten up, um, I think access to capital, especially for a, a lot of the high growth, early stage companies becomes a, a lot harder. Um, so I do think, you know, that the, the cycle here is then the investment, the, the investment decisions become um, you know, laden with a lot more scrutiny, as as I would expect, because you've got higher hurdles, you've got a, a lot more potential underwriting risk as you think about extending, you know, credit to 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 ventures or or even to mid-sized firms, and you know, and for bigger firms like the one I work for, you know, absolute cost of capital starts hiking up um, as the both the the underlying treasury rates and then the corporate bond rates. And obviously, the expectations for the equity risk premiums go up. So it's a cycle that has lag effects. So we may, we are probably maybe three to six months behind what we know the fallout will be from the actions taken so far. Well, and to your point, if the cost of capital goes up, then the hurdle rates are higher for CapEx projects and M&A and and so less investment gets done in the private sector, which hits growth for many years. Yeah, I, and I think that's the challenge here is I think if you're if you're thinking strategically, you want to be in a position to invest through the cycle, right? Um, I do think on balance, what what will happen is asset prices will also come down. So if you're you think if you take M and A, the point at which the sellers or the potential sellers start to retailer their their expectations for exit prices is the point at which you can you could start to have a you know a reasonable M and A landscape, and one which you know candidly probably has a lot less financial sponsors and bidders in there and more strategic buyers. So, I, I think the key here is if you're if you're watching your balance sheet and you're you're smart about how you invest, you don't have to turn those things off. You do have to be maybe sharper in your analysis. But um, I think there's there's clearly opportunity to play through in a cycle like this. Yeah, and the, and the volume of deals comes down. But Kofi, you know, I think most CEOs and CFOs uh, who are in seat today were not in seat in the 2008-2009 crisis. You were, and you have a lot of experience emanating from that era. 
How, uh, you know, talk about that experience and then how is this similar and how is it different now? Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's an interesting point. I've thought a lot about this because, uh, I, I, as you may not know, I started my career at Ford Motor Company, which, you know, is a, is a, in a very boom and bust um, industry. And one where it, in the treasurer's office, the very first thing I, I, I spent a lot of time on was understanding the all of the cash flow planning and the downturn planning um, that 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 organization did and instilled in me as uh, a, a heightened sense of um, maybe not paranoia but certainly um, you know an extra level of scrutiny of, of markets and what can go wrong and so when I was sitting in the treasurer's chair at Ecolab in 2008 on September 15th um, 12 2008 when Lehman went belly up, you know, the, the, the interesting thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that that's a payday in most um, in most companies. I mean, there's a lot of talk about banks and and derivatives and banks shoring up positions and covering um, counterparty risk. Very little talk about how close to the edge I think we were. Um, it wouldn't have taken much beyond a few companies failing to maybe, um, you know, meet their payroll. Uh, for the, the the level of panic to rash it up even higher than it did. And it, as I think about what was in 2008, it was, you know, the 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 the, the height of a whole bunch of risk-seeking activity, in that case, you know, uh, spawned by um, the mortgages and, and by mortgage industry. But what, what happened in that environment at the peak was you saw all of um, the assets effectively start to move in, in, in the same direction. Right, which is a very, very strange phenomenon. It was, it was absolutely terrifying, and liquidity dried up almost overnight. And without some very, very aggressive actions after maybe a false start by the by the government, um, I think we, we would have been very close to a a you know an imminent financial collapse, probably of the well, order and, of magnitude of. And, and in fact, hundreds of companies did collapse. Non-bank companies, did, yeah, did yeah. Collapse. You know, the, because the, the banks were bailed out, essentially. Right. But the knock-on effect is that uh, a lot of companies, whole sectors were downgraded you yes. know, proactively, and companies lost their access to loans and liquidity, and, and, and bankruptcies followed. Even you know, you're sitting completely innocently as a CEO, CEO or a CFO, Thinking, you know, an investment grade credit, boom, you know, you, it, it, you got dropped a few levels just overnight and, yeah. and, and you had to refinance and, but the financing wasn't there. So this is, this is the backdrop that yeah. you know, both of us experienced. Right. And it does create some healthy paranoia. Yeah. As, you know, as you look <laughs> it's at not it. a bad thing. <laughs> well, you don't know what's going to happen this time, do you? No, no, and and I I I think you're you know we, whether you want to talk about it as a black swan event last time or the risk of a, a a gray swan you know potentially this time, you're you're still in the space of things that maybe push beyond in the imagination of what's probable, and and I think that was the the challenge for me was you don't what I learned from 2008 was you, you don't need to be bankrupt to be insolvent right I mean you you just have to not have enough capital to pay your bills on. On the day when you need to, yeah, be, and that could be completely an exogenous event, right? It could be the capital markets, debt capital markets dry up, banks, you know, refuse to honor their credit commitments, which is kind of what happened. I mean, I I will tell you, I couldn't place any commercial paper on that day in two thousand eight, and for about four hours until 
I actually started to have conversations with the with our credit line banks about drawing down the facilities or them buying the paper at market rates. Right. And and then when you know when you go to draw down your facility, when you need it the most, they cut back on your access to facility. Well, and if the banks are the are the center of the financial lock of loss of confidence, what you know, that that was sort of the spiral effect that was going on. You know, mid morning on on to, uh, September fifteenth, two thousand eight, for me. There's no cash to be drawn down. The other thing is credit default swaps, and yes. and you know, if your credit default swaps go up, then your vendors can't insure their risk, and so a lot of vendors stop shipping to companies who were just fine. Yeah. But, but if you don't have vendors shipping, you know, supplies, you can't make your stuff, and you can't sell your stuff. I mean, the whole thing. The whole thing, it was just a matter of confidence. Well, I, I think that's, and that that's probably the good reminder, right? I, you used the, the right word there. The, the whole they, the whole thing was, was like a confidence in the underlying financial system, which is what I think, as I watch the Fed respond right now to the, to, to the banking pressure, they, are, they have top of mind. And that it, it doesn't necessarily take a, a truly structural degradation for there to be a loss of confidence it, it it you know it takes the loss of confidence to spread for it to be a challenge um but for the banks and so i think that's where we're in is that the fed is is moving is going to move aggressively i, I can tell they're paying attention to you know to, to bank uh bank liquidity ratios and bank um capitalization ratios more so than ever i, I don't know what congress is going to do on i'm We'll see. Uh, but I, I, I will say in the short term, I, I am confident that the Fed is paying very close attention to the to the confidence in the financial system and will move aggressively to ensure that uh, it it doesn't crater for for only for, for the loss of confidence. Well, so let's let's take the, uh, the gray swan possibility here, which is, you know, the, it was still running six percent CPI. You know, the Fed wants to I mean, the yeah, the Fed wants to get it down to two percent. Uh, still got a ways to go. Let let's just say it's you know it it's not another twenty five or fifty basis points. Let's say it's another 100, 150 basis points. That could create another step down yeah. for these banks, and and therefore you know really create a two thousand eight two thousand nine crisis. Now the difference, as you said, is that the Fed is they're on it. They backstopped everything. They flushed you know the uh, liquidity in the marketplace. But it's not inconceivable that we're not out of the woods. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think the 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 banking crisis are really kind of, I don't think was anybody on anybody's radar per se, um, always possible, but was certainly not on the Fed's radar as a variable they were watching four weeks ago. It's clearly a variable they're watching right now as they turn the dials on, um, on interest rates in that to, to the point we were talking about earlier, the lag effect of this may not be clear for months. And so there's a risk of both over tightening and, and potentially under tightening, but inflation is not the only thing that they, that they're watching in this environment. And that, you know, the, the capital providing or the capital mediation um, structures in our financial system, the banks um, need to be healthy in order for us to have a healthy unwind of the inflation. Right. Yeah. We're discussing the current banking crisis, how it compares to 2008 and 2009. Next, we're going to talk about possible outcomes for the banking sector, which industries are most and least vulnerable, and what should CEOs and CFOs be doing. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. 
What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the conference board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Kofi Bruce, the CFO of General Mills. Okay, so Kofi, before the break, you described a situation that we're in, largely to date handled by the Fed through you know additional liquidity and so forth, but companies are still experiencing tightness. I mean, we you, you've talked a, a little bit about how even the commercial paper market has become kind of tight here, which was something that happened in 2008 and 2009. We never thought would happen, but that dried up then. And now we're starting to see that, you know, it's not dry, but it's it's been but throttled here. Stickier, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think that is, you know, that is a, a, a clear symptom of where we're at and at the level of uncertainty in the short term. I mean, commercial paper is always kind of a, a very highly informed, inflation expectation sensitive instrument and also um, brings in that other variable of, of bank strength and bank confidence because the portion of the commercial paper markets um, that isn't backed up by assets is backed up by bank um, credit line commitment. So this is actually a pretty good microcosm of the kind of uncertainty that I think we're in right now, and that in the short term, the inflation expectations are high, which are reflected in the pricing of commercial paper, right? So you can probably borrow money in the term debt markets lower than you can get it um, in commercial paper, but you give up the flexibility uh, and the ease of, of repayment. The, the, the challenge here is, you know, what what's the path out of this? I think ideally the pressure on the banking system comes down and you're going to be in a in a place where this becomes less day to day management. But I, I think in the in the in the intermediate term, what will happen is you will likely have some additional measures that bring in more banks into the what I call the systemically regulated circle, and meaning they'll just get more scrutiny and more oversight and tighter liquidity and risk management um, uh, policies. And then I think you know the FDIC. Um, is probably due for the insurance structure. It's probably going to get a review. Um, if for no other reason than just to clarify whether deposits are covered to an unlimited threshold or if there is actually some uh, some threshold at which they are, are, are covered. And to also address the fact that premiums will have to go up if if more um, are covered. Because as as you know, the FDIC is insured by by bank, banks paying premiums. So uh, so I think that's those are probably the near-term things that are very easy to imagine coming out of this. You know, you you just said something a minute ago. I just I, I just want to check it because, you know, for over a decade, commercial paper has cost what one to two percent, depending yes. on yeah. Which, 
And, and you're talking about now commercial paper being north of five percent for for tier two issuers like us. Yeah, and and that's so it's cheaper to take ten year debt, which is unheard of. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that reflects the the near term inflation expectations versus kind of the long term. And you know, I think there's there's clearly a view that we are we are going to get beyond this inflationary window at at you know sometime between years one and your uh you know years 10 and i i, I think it, it's a fairly reasonable reflection of the level of risk that people have you know are, are assessing to the commercial paper markets i think both for for the inflation reasons but also for you know concerns about potentially the the pressure that might you know put on uh on on the banking system as well so well, so what should so think with that backdrop then what should ceos and cfos be doing i mean you don't you don't want to I mean, we're not trying to drive any panic here, but but yeah. your own experiences back in 2008 and 2009, your experiences in seat today as CFO of General Mills suggest that, you know, things are getting tight here and maybe a little conservatism is yeah. required. What what would what do you suggest these folks be doing? Yeah. And I would say, you know, we're still finding that Commercial paper market is still there, so I, know I wouldn't by, by any means say it's dried up, but it, it is probably an environment in which my radar is pointing us towards carrying less balances in, in commercial paper, just for a reason of not wanting to, to take on the, the refinancing risk in an environment. So if you're rolling less, um, that obviously takes away a, a little bit of that concern, and, and I think, you know, if you're if you're a smaller firm and you're you're not accessing commercial paper markets, I mean, you know, those firms are probably going to have to look at their other short-term mechanisms, either either bank lines or or carrying more cash and ready access to, to to reserves as opposed to you know some of the some of the mechanisms they've been using. So I think those are the challenges in this environment. They're more about liquidity and how long are you funded and you know, where are you keeping your cash and concentrating your your risk. But regardless, you're saying people should really be thinking about becoming more conservative just in case, because you don't know if there's another step. Well, back. certainly, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the environment right now, and and I I see we're not yet through the period where there are questions about bank stability, and I think until we get to that point, um, it is prudent for sure to, to reduce my reliance on financial vehicles that require. Uh, either direct financing from a bank or backstops from 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 some of the banks, and that's that's been more a function of as we've seen the commercial paper markets maybe get a, get pricier, and you know a little taking a, a little bit um, stickier for us to to place paper. We're we're making sure that we we are accessing other sources of capital. You know, and um, you know that's from a financing standpoint. From an operating standpoint, sounds like. People should be getting a little bit more conservative too, conserving cash a little bit, cutting expenses. Well, I, I certainly think it's an environment where if you have, you, you know, the, this will certainly favor companies with strong cash flow and the ability to self-enhance anything from acquisitions to to all of their working capital needs. And I I think that's um, that's the environment that that probably is is arguing against some of the the maybe some of the riskier higher growth um, assets that right now are, have been under pressure. And, you know, I think 
if you look at Silicon Valley Bank, a, a lot of the the firms that were impacted were you know mid stage and early stage venture uh, fund held firms where they're still on the cash burn cycle. Um, so that you know the, the, that end of the market is going to going to increasingly see see pressure. I think for us and for firms, you know, like us with strong cash flow, we're, we're you know clearly the cost of capital is going to go up. So that makes everything from EPS accretion on deals to you know the, the the borrowing cost to finance them and ultimately even the the underlying discount rates um move up with the the interest rate environment so returns are going to have to still come um and that just means you're going to do more due diligence in this environment sellers will have to have to come your way in on m a and on capital projects inflation has hit um both the capital itself, meaning the equipment in the case of if you're buying equipment to, they say, expand a line, um, we've seen, you know, inflation hit there um, almost to the levels that it's hit um, some of our core inputs. If, if you're looking at these early stage companies uh, who have relied a lot on debt, you know, are you recommending that uh, that they turn to the equity markets instead? Well, I, th- I think some of them are, are certainly having to. I mean, if you think about... Um, some of the statistics around the IPOs and the expect- expected IPOs that were going into this cycle that were teed up and, and a number of companies that have kind of held off to the side and stayed private um, for want of maybe a, a, a better market, right? I mean, I, I think you're, you're, they're staying private with additional private capital um, and private equity. Um, you're also, I think to your point, it's going to be hard to access debt markets at this stage, if you you are still in the cash burn phase, um, so a lot of those firms in order to keep going are go, are, are tapping second, and third round. So that, that that is certainly what 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 I would expect to see, and we've you know yeah. we've certainly have seen that in some some of the ventures that um, we have we have looked at through our yeah. When you say second round, that's, that's, those are raises of equity. So and and this is. This is not just with early venture stuff. It's it's also with you know with firms who just don't have access to debt and are just you know or economically it's you know then you have to start looking at equity, which you never think about in a normal no. world because debt debt has been so much cheaper than equity, you know issuance of stock or issuance of ownership for so long. That, you know most treasurers don't even think about it. No, no, and and I think it's a. You know, it, it it is a weird place for us to be um, because it's it's come pretty quickly. I mean, you know, the, the the cycle itself, and then the rising interest rates. I mean, it's it's been uh, we're on what our ninth raise, and you know, since the start of the inflationary cycle. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I've seen this aggressive a pace of of interest rate increase. Yeah, five hundred basis points never in my life. So, yeah. So what's the what's the risk though um, for CEOs and CFOs? If, uh, what, what's the risk of them being too conservative? What happens if they're too yeah? Well, I I think a couple of things. I mean, certainly on that uh, on the balance sheet side, you can get funded too long, and you know, in, end up in a situation where when when we get out of the the post inflationary cycle, and if there's a recession that follows. And you see the rebound. All of a sudden, you may be in a position where you're you're sitting long cash and a uh, a bunch of higher interest debt. Um, so that that's the risk. You can get too long in in your funding, and therefore carry too much cost into a, a cycle. You know, decreasing or or slowly 
um, ratcheting down interest rates. Now that, on the other side, is um, you can certainly get overextended um, in an environment like this, and and very quickly see that the inflationary cycle and then a potential recessionary cycle that follows put pressure on any of the the, the big decisions, whether it's a, a capital project for for expansion um, or you know, a huge M&A deal that maybe is somewhat um, recessionary sensitive. So I think those are the those are the things that, in my mind, argue that folks are going to be doing a lot more due diligence if they're sitting in, in chairs like mine um, or they make those big decisions. Yeah, so the risk of being too conservative is some costs. You give up some flexibility and it may hit your EPS or earnings, but the the risk of being not conservative enough is potentially existential. Yeah, it, it certainly could be. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, err on the side, therefore. But at least me- measure four times if you'd have measured three before, right? <laughs> yeah, cut once. So it, last, you know, last question: What industries do you see as the most and least vulnerable? Well, I, I certainly think um, any of your your industries where you have somewhat low betas and, you know, so think about things that are counter, um, counter recession or counter cyclical or somewhat cyclically inelastic. Uh, I happen to be in a food business, which, you know, generally people eat uh, food regardless of, of whether there's a recession or not, which means that our, our, there's relative stability in our cash flow profile. So I think, I think an industry like ours generally going to hold up pretty well. I think some of the bigger, heavier capital intensive industries that tend to be uh, you know, more sensitive to consumer um, sentiment and confidence. I think those they may have challenges. You know, I think, and then, and then obviously the capital intensive um, earlier stage growth companies are gonna are gonna find it harder to get funding. So non cyclicals will do will have an easier time of it than cyclicals. Sure, um, by definition, which uh, which you know seems to always be the case in uh, in rocky economic times. Kofi Bruce, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Steve. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to CEO Perspectives. If you're enjoying the show, please hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. And if you really love what you're hearing, share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues. Leave a review. And as always, thanks so much for listening. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.